Welcome! You found the Out of the Ordinary podcast, where we believe that the very best stories grow out of the soil of ordinary life. I'm Christy Purifoy. And I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And a few of our favorite ordinary winter things are flannel sheets, candles in the kitchen, and coming in out of the cold. And a few of mine are ice skating on the neighborhood pond, long walks after a snowfall, and warming back up again with a homemade tea latte. We hope these conversations help you see the extra hidden right in plain sight in your ordinary life, too. Get comfy. Here we go. Lisa Joe, we're about to do one of my favorite things that we do on the podcast, which is that occasionally we have connected conversations, a, a series of podcast conversations. So this conversation flows out of last week's conversation. But I think the reason I love it um, is because it's more like real life with a friend, right? You never just tell one story and then you go your separate ways. Yeah. Sit I like hours. it. I like it because it feels like binge watching. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So I'm glad that that we're doing that right now. So for our listeners who may not um, remember last week, episode 118, how storytellers process re-entry. So this idea of re-entry, I think you and I realized that um, not only do we have a lot of stories related to that, but they feel really relevant potentially to where we are right now as we uh, shift from winter to spring as your family shifts in back to, um, um, you know, in school. We talked about Zoe going back to school last week as um, depending on where you live, your community thinks about re-entry in terms of um, this pandemic life we've been living. And now um, maybe hopefully in more places, vaccines are becoming available. So re-entry feels really important right now. Mm. And one thing we've learned on the Out of the Ordinary podcast is that when we remember and when we tell our stories, we're better prepared to understand what we're living through right now. So I don't think you and I have any clear sense yet of what, of how we should approach re-entry as we're experiencing it right now. But I have a feeling after this series, we will have like a story arsenal. Does that make sense? Like an arsenal <laughs> like of that. stories like to help that. us. Well, I mean, that's what we mentioned last week when we kicked off the series, the idea that re-entry will be processed differently depending on how you see the world. So psychologists, ministers, teachers, parents, they're all experiencing and processing re-entry in their own vocabulary. But we are storytellers. And so that's why as storytellers, this is how we are experiencing re-entry through the vehicle of story. Because the great thing about story is it helps us to understand our own experiences. So by telling our stories is often how we make sense of them. And you too. It doesn't just apply to storytellers. It's been shown through study that telling your story is a way of making sense of your story. So our hope is as we share ours, you'll be thinking along in your own head about your own experiences and it will help you as you are on your own re-entry journey. So today we're talking about re-entry from the perspective of stories of travel and travel always comes with such strange and interesting re-entry. And we don't mean like pandemic travel necessarily. We're just talking about in general, 
in the world or in your neighborhood, on your vacations, whatever travel has looked like for you in the past, there are there, there are parallels there, right, Christy? Like, I mean, when you get back mm-hmm. from a big trip, mm-hmm. we know what, when we use the word reentry, everybody is familiar with that concept. So today, today's episode really is looking at reentry through stories of travel. And it's kind of a two-parter today. I will share a little bit about the actual travel portion. <laughs> Um, and Christy's going to talk a little more about specifically like the re-entry portion of travel. But mine's applicable to what we're going through now because I've actually used this same travel mindset throughout the last year as we've coped as a family with pandemic life. And here's why. So I am from, as you, I think, know most of you, from South Africa originally. And from the ripe old age of 20, I have commuted back and forth between South Africa and the United States for college first and then for grad school and then for life since I live here. (laughs) But um, that trip is not an easy one. It is a long series of flights. And it's funny, Chrissy, I'll talk to people who've traveled, you know, maybe to Africa or to the Far East And they'll make suggestions to me, you know, or did you fly on this airline or did you go through Munich or have you done it nonstop? What do you, I, we think it's better if you break it up. I mean, and I always say, whatever you suggest, yes, I have tried all of it. There is no version you can tell (laughs) me that I have not tried. I have gone via London. I've gone via Dubai. I've gone direct to New York. I've gone direct to DC. I have done nights. I've done mornings. I've taken sleeping pills. I haven't. I have packed snacks. I have watched all the movies. I have left the airport when we're in London, or I have stayed in the airport lounge. I have every combination you could possibly put together. I have tried. So I speak from actual experience here. I have 26 years of experience of doing this trip. Isn't that crazy? I was 20 the first time I did it. Wow. I'm 46 now. So people, I am qualified. This opinion is coming to you (laughs) from a dark, bitter place of someone who has clocked up so many hours on airlines. And may I point out, has never once, not one time in 26 years, received a free upgrade or gone in business class or any of those things. And I have unresolved bitterness and jealousy toward people who do international (laughs) flights and post pictures of themselves having got an upgrade or having a whole row of seats. I'm sorry, we are not friends. If that's you, (laughs) unless you can get me a free upgrade, we are no longer friends. (laughs) Chrissy, I have done that trip. This is how you can understand how long I've done that trip. When I used to do that trip in the beginning, when I was in college and I would fly I won't mention what airline I used to fly on, but this was applicable to all of them. It was when there was still a smoking <gasps> section no on way. the airplane. Imagine being on a plane for 16 hours. Oh. That is the length of the trip. And the back half of the plane is smoking. The front half is non-smoking. Hello, you're trapped in a can together. <gasps> Everything is smoking. Oh. If someone is smoking... The whole plane is breathing that smoke. And I remember sometimes having my row of seating was like the the row right in front of the smoking section. Imagine being on a plane for 17 hours with people that are smoking. Wow, Lisa Joe, I That's a real I can't. thing. <laughs> yeah. And that it was like that for the first probably three or four years of me doing that trip. So that was totally normal. People used to smoke on airplanes. <laughs> so like you can't even imagine something like that anymore. And I remember nights where I, and it's helpful to mention, I get 
severe motion sickness. Like I think I'm going to die. It's so bad. And I remember us being crammed in like sardines on those planes and like at two in the morning when I'd be feeling so nauseous and desperately just wanted to see if there was a row somewhere with an extra seat. I would walk back towards smoking section because sometimes there'd be like three or four seats open and like try to find somewhere to lie down. And then it just wouldn't be worth it because you can breathe. It was so terrible. And you like walk off a 17-hour flight. Not only do you feel exhausted from the flight, now you reek of cigarette smoke to you. Wow. Yes. Wow. Yes. I, I, I can't, I'm speechless. I think because, I mean, I would have been flying occasionally at that time, but I realized I wasn't doing international flights very often, if at all. And I have a feeling, I can't remember, but I, I bet they took smoking sections out from domestic travel before they yes. did it internationally because probably they were thinking, you know, these poor people need access to their cigarettes at some point during the next 20 hours on this plane. So I bet well, it was phased also, out maybe more slowly. Maybe. And I also think it depends what airline. So this wasn't an American yes, airline yeah. I was on. It wasn't sure. South African either. It was a European airline. And I think, you know, in Europe especially, it's taken a long time to phase out smoking. I think there's still a lot of places in Europe where there are restaurants where you can smoke indoors still. So that yeah. was its own part of my experience of international travel. Wow. So I started out as a 20-year-old. I have since traveled when I was uh, newlywed. I've traveled with children. I have three kids and all of them have made that trip their first time when they're just a few months old. I remember having to take baby passport photographs with newborns who are like four or five weeks old. And weirdly, in some countries, like in South Africa, you are required for the baby to have their eyes open for their passport photograph. Have you ever what? tried to get a newborn <gasps> baby's eyes open? So no, this is so crazy. You know what they would do? They would hold the baby. This was Jackson hold him in their arms. He's like sleeping. And then they would suddenly flip him vertical. And <gasps> as that happens, the baby's eyes go open in shock. And then they would take the picture. <laughs> it's so insane. But they would do it wow. multiple times to try to get one where he, you know, his eyes were both open. And I'd be like, really, really? And they're like flipping the baby up and down, up and down. It was so funny. So I've made that trip with newborns. I've made that trip with toddlers. That was the worst. That was definitely the worst period where you're chasing a toddler up and down a plane for I 17 bet. hours. And I'd always be like totally spaced out on Dramamine because I get so airsick. So I'm basically on sleeping, heavy sleeping medication, trying to take care of a toddler. Bless Peter. He used to do a lot of it, but then we would have two kids. So you have to do both. I mean, it's terrible, terrible trauma. I did the flight once with by myself. Peter wasn't with me with a newborn where we had a 12-hour layover in Munich. And I cannot unrecommend that enough because <laughs> it's so terrible. You can't sleep. You have a baby. So you oh. cannot fall asleep because oh, what if someone I didn't takes your baby? That, Lisa so Joe. I went 36 <gasps> hours without sleeping. <laughs> it was so terrible. I've never experienced trauma like that before. It was so bad. And now we do it with our kids who are like teenagers and it's a completely different experience. They manage their business. They've, they're such sophisticated travelers that you really don't have to do anything. They know about ordering meals. They sit, they do their movies. They Basically, I take my Dramamine and tell them, please ask me for nothing for the next 17 hours. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I share this and you're wondering, how is this relevant to my life in the pandemic, Lisa Joe? Here's why. <laughs> Here's what I've learned. When you travel for that long period of time, you have to do this thing that I call you just must suspend animation. You must allow yourself to float in a space-like state, like an astronaut where there's zero gravity and you just stop trying to control things. You 
You must never check the time difference. You must never calculate how late you are or how long you've been delayed or how many hours you've spent at the McDonald's in Netherlands, in Amsterdam, <laughs> Schiphol Airport, feeding your children chicken nuggets at the equivalent of two in the morning their time. You must never make that conversion. You must just let go. And I have learned travel is the one place that if you try to hold on to control, it, it's so stressful. I have learned to just release it and to just say, whatever happens, happens. You lost the passport. Oh, well, we'll figure it out. You lost your favorite blankie. We'll manage it. People are always asking me things like, oh, do you insist your children sleep at certain times or eat certain foods? And I just say, no, I have zero expectations of them when we travel. You want to eat all those snacks at once? Fine. You want to binge watch 12 hours of SpongeBob? Do it, man. I have <laughs> learned to just completely release this false sense of control. And so when we started entering the pandemic and you know, each month, Everything we thought was going to happen wouldn't. They keep pushing out school. And now with vaccinations, like when will it happen? I don't know. Dates keep moving. I've adopted this similar mindset, Christy, where I just tell myself, just suspend animation, let go of control. You're not in control of the situation. You just have to let go. Stop Stop saying it was supposed to be this date. It was supposed to be this date because you want to do that with airplanes, right? We were supposed to leave at this time. We were supposed to get there by this time. We're supposed to have arrived. I should be sitting in my parents' lounge by now. You'll make yourself crazy if you do that. And so that has just been super helpful for me as I've thought through life here in the pandemic. So in terms of reentry, I'm now doing the same. I'm saying in the same way that we didn't know last year, and I just decided to just say, I'm going to stop trying to track things. I'm going to stop panicking each step of the way. Just suspend animation as if you are now in transit. I have done that and will continue to do that through this next phase. And it it makes a big difference personally and just releasing it in that way. Mm -hmm. That makes so much sense. And that's a really good analogy for what this past year has felt like. I don't have so much of that um, letting go travel experience. But yeah, I have felt myself adopting a similar attitude, especially when it comes to dates calendar, which I think is like the time zone thing, like don't pay attention to the time. Um, I have done that as well in terms of making plans or anticipating. But I have felt, Lisa Joe, I have felt that um, habit loosening its grip on me as the prospect of vaccines and things opening up has come nearer. I, it's almost like I am waking up from my travel stupor yeah, yes. <laughs> and beginning to say, oh, have we arrived? Yes. Are we there? Oh, I think we're getting close. Are we oh, there so yet? Maybe, are we there maybe yet? Maybe this summer, right? <laughs> right. Like I'm actually starting to tentatively talk about plans and, and you and I have had just one or two conversations about, oh, well, maybe we'll get together. You know, yes. it's like it's, I can feel, I can actually feel this sort of waking up, which right. makes me feel like this is something about reentry, like we're vulnerable. Right. Because now the things that we've used to sort of protect ourselves, either wisely or unwisely, um, we've protected ourselves and our hearts, you know, right. in certain ways. And now, you know, we're, we're, we're dropping those protections. And so we're very vulnerable. That's not to say don't be vulnerable. No, I, no. But I'm just aware that, you know, I might be disappointment that comes now might be felt a little more deeply. Than, like you just don't know what surprises might yeah, still be in store. And exactly. I'll just share this yeah. little snippet, this little <laughs> tiny tidbit of joy. Not. Yeah. we. There was one trip in particular where Jackson... <laughs> was probably 18 months old 
And we had survived the 16-hour flight. I think it's 17 on the way back from South Africa to New York. And then we had to make the connection from New York to Detroit at the time we were living in Michigan. And then you have to drive from there. So we had we had landed back in the U.S. It's like the time zones are completely insane, right? So it's like six in the morning U.S. time. But it was like, you know, lunchtime on his body clock, on Jackson's body clock. And all he wanted was chicken nuggets is what he wanted to eat. Horrifying, horrifying. And we were like, sure, we're at the airport. McDonald's is open. We got him a kitty meal. At six in the morning, he ate chicken nuggets and chugged chocolate milk. And then we walked Uh over to the (laughs) check-in counter for our domestic (laughs) flight. And we had him like sitting like up on the counter, right? Like he's like little. And so I have him sitting as I'm talking to her about our seat assignment. And the next thing, I'm not joking you, I am talking to this woman and she can't see because it's the front of the counter, but it's the counter that he's sitting on. Christy, there is this very fast gathering, speedy stream of just dark brown running down the chicken counter (laughs) just pouring out of my child and my only thought was we cannot not get on this flight and if this woman finds out that my child has runaway diarrhea on this desk I am afraid she is going to tell us that we cannot get on this flight and we have got to get home and I'm holding him on the counter and it's running down the sleeve like off my sweater (laughs) down the counter. And as she's talking to me about seat assignments, I, I look over and I catch Peter's eye and I say to her, just a moment, um, hey, hun, I think Jackson needs a, a change. And he looks at me, comes over, sees the situation. <laughs> we communicate with our eyes. I take off my sweatshirt. I'm like, kind of hot. Can you take my sweatshirt? And he's like, sure. And he surreptitiously wipes the counter with my sweatshirt. <laughs> And walks into the bathroom while I continue the seat reservation process. They come back out again like 20 minutes later. And I and Jackson's wearing all new clothes. And I'm like, where are the clothes? He's like, I threw everything away. It is gone. There is no redemption for those clothes. And then, Christy, as we're taking off, like we're on the plane now, we have like the very last row, which is the worst one because it doesn't recline and you're against the toilets. And anyway, Jackson's on the seat next to me. But as an act of God, there is no one else in those rows. Like Jackson and I were in a three-seater. Pete was across from us in a two-seater. We kind of spread out. But Jackson is freaking out at this point decides he's hot and takes off all of his clothes. He is buck naked. I can't, he's screaming. He won't put his clothes on. He has, refuses to have a diaper. <laughs> he's just sprawled out on these three seats, hysterical. And Peter, Peter sits and looks out the window as if to say, don't know who that lady with her crazy child <laughs> Pray to all the gods that he will calm down and no steward will come back there. And I gently drape a blanket over him as he falls asleep, naked, sprawled out on the seats next to me. And that, my friends, is the visual of releasing control. (laughs) I feel like if we want to know, like if we really want to understand how hard travel and travel reentry can be on ourselves, we should look to the toddlers amongst us who are telling us. It's terrible. I am not okay. This is really hard. I am not okay. And if you would admit it, you would know that you also are not okay. (laughs) 
Even chicken nuggets cannot redeem the situation. My body just rejects everything that is happening. Oh, uh, so I have a story actually, and I, I okay, I'm going to tell this one because in my story of travel, hard travel, re-entry, the parent in my life, the adult in my life, acknowledged. I think that's why it's so memorable. It has stuck in my head. I've never forgotten this. The parent in my life. Unlike Peter Baker, who stared off in the window, <laughs> he was like, he just, like it wasn't he was happening. Like, By hour twenty-four, he's like, "I'm done, man. I'm, I'm so done." done. I'm done. <laughs> well, actually, maybe this is similar. So, my father um, said something at the moment of our reentry where I realized, "Oh, he feels exactly the way I do." <laughs> he just can't and lie it, on the ground naked it, and have a temper right, tantrum. Right. So. Um, I grew up in Texas, so I and I never traveled internationally as a kid, so I didn't have those kinds of epic travel experiences. But as one of four children, um, at a time when airfare was very expensive, right. and in a family where we didn't have, my parents loved to travel, but we didn't have that kind of travel budget. We just drove everywhere. It was you know road trips all the time, and epic road trips. Road trips driving from Central Texas to. Northern California to see my oh, mom's wow. family. She's yeah. from San Francisco. So that was like a three day, three days, three solid days in the oh. van. Was it a minivan or like a, no, no, a station wagon? This was pre-minivan, right? So we had a station wagon. Right, that's what we, we always had. had. A, we had a van van. Oh, like that's a van. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Not a minivan, a van. We had a van. Um, we would do that trip. We also... So my parents worked for a Christian ministry that was is headquartered in Colorado, and they had met at that place, um, and they had married there. And so it was special to them personally. You know, it's where they began dating and getting to know one another. And then it was also a place where they needed to return just for their work, for meetings or conferences. So growing up um, in Central Texas, we would go to this place in Colorado. We'd go to Colorado Springs at least once a year often twice a year. And I remember one summer, it was the best summer ever. Of course. <laughs> we drove we drove up twice that summer wow. um, for camps and meetings and various things. Um, so that trip was, I think, 20 to 22 hours of driving. Oof. So we would drive, the whole first day, we would drive and drive and drive. We would drive 10 hours or so and we would still spend that night in Texas. We wouldn't even get out of Texas on the wow. first day of driving. Um, sometimes, oh, my dad was just epic, and he would drive str drive us straight through. He would no literally way. just drive 20 hours almost without stopping. We didn't do that often. Usually, we would stop that first night. Um, my aunt lived at that time in far north Texas in Amarillo, so we would spend the night in Amarillo and then finish the trip the next day. And I can remember broken the van breaking in hot wet you know in the desert oh. I, I remember all you know all all the the family um drama you know four kids i can remember my mom preparing for these trips bless her with such care and hopefulness like maybe this time right and she oh she was so good she would have a um an ice chest a cooler in the mm. middle of the van filled with Food and snacks, um, because that was the other thing. We we couldn't be stopping all the time at restaurants. And they and weren't like rest stops in the same way weren't. back then. Because no. I also remember us always packing snacks and food. Yes. There's like nothing. Yes, it's so true. There really there weren't the options. Um, and even, you know, a treat for us would be like a Happy Meal, McDonald's. But you didn't have <laughs> McDonald's everywhere. And that right. was 
expensive for right. four kids. So my mom would be pulling out these special things and she would make it special. I remember one trip was memorable because my mother had, I, I don't know if it I don't know if it was a splurge or what, but the kind of snacks we wouldn't normally have at home, she had just gotten them all. Right. So we would we were She's passing wise. around in I the remember van, right? doing that kind of thing. You do what you gotta do, man. Exactly. <laughs> we were passing around these cans of squirt cheese. <laughs> Wait, what? This is a visual I cannot imagine you eating. We were so excited. We had little Triscuits and we would squirt this like orange cheese. (laughs) Yes. And we loved it. It was so much fun. One year she gave us all little, um, little headset Walkmans, like the little tapes, you know, we each had our little headphones and, oh, Lisa Joe, one trip. And then I promise I will get to the actual re-entry story. No, this is the best part. One trip. We were listening to, oh, I want to say it, it was like an Amy Grant or, but it may not have been. It was a, you know, a Christian popular singer, whatever the song was, I think it had a line like, where do you, where do you go? Or where do I go? And my sisters and I were so enamored with the song that we were asking my father to play it over and over and over. And at one point, my dad took the tape out of the tape deck and said, I will tell you where to go, <laughs> and threatened to throw it out the window. And in my memory, I should have checked. I didn't know I was going to share this story. I should have checked with my sisters. I actually do not remember in this moment if he actually threw the tape out the window. I don't remember. He might have. <laughs> Wait, I have to add in here a little addendum, like a footnote of fathers on these sort of trips, because <laughs> yeah. I have one where we were with my dad in our minivan, not minivan, station wagon, our green mm-hmm, BW mm-hmm. Passat station wagon. And as I've mentioned before, I suffer from extreme car sickness. And we were driving in South Africa through all these mountain passes. Ooh. And I, I kept telling him, Dad, I think I'm going to throw up, Dad. And he'll be like, you're fine. Just watch the road. Just watch the road. This is in his naive days when I was still much younger and he didn't realize. Now, even at 40, if I say in our family, I don't feel well, the car just like veers off the road immediately. (laughs) So I'm sitting next to the door and packed next to me is the aforementioned lunch picnic basket. Like you, like you said, we had one right next to me and I kept telling him, dad, I don't feel, I don't feel good. And he's like, but he didn't pull over and I lost it directly into (laughs) the basket of all the food. And he was furious all day. It's all he could talk about. Lisa Joe threw up on the food. And I was like, if you had pulled over the car in time, this wouldn't have happened. And that trip, I continued to get so sick. There was one point where me, all my stories are very gross today. Me, I threw up so much that the smell of vomit in the car was so overwhelming and we couldn't get rid of it that both of my brothers started throwing up father lost his mind, pulled over on the side of the road. He's a doctor, got all three of us out, told us to bend over and pull down our pants. And then he went with a shot down the road, injected all our skinny little butts with an anti-nausea. It must have been like a Zofran or something. We're all like under the age of 10, okay? (laughs) And I think he put some sleeping medicine into that shot too, because you can pull up both at the same time. He was like, I'm finished. We're done now. Everybody stop vomiting and go to sleep. I tell you what, if I could get a shot of that while I travel, I would just travel with a syringe with me all the time. (laughs) You'd go for it. You would. Oh, that's so, so funny. Okay, Lisa Joe. 
So re-entry after these epic trips, especially to Colorado. And for those of our listeners who are not familiar with the differences between Texas, Central Texas, and Colorado, the mountains, the Rocky Mountains, the differences are extreme, (laughs) epic, and in the summertime especially, just in the air, the differences between one place and the other. So when you're doing it gradually over 20 hours, it's like you've driven to another planet. So on the way there, it was wonderful. We would gradually leave behind this hot, humid air. We would spend the night in North Texas, which was just as hot, but less humid. So that always felt like, okay, we're getting, you know, it's, it's improving. And then that moment when you drive up into the mountains and it just gets cooler and cooler and, and the humidity just evaporates. So wonderful. And then something really special about being there, again, I think only our um, listeners in the Southern United States will appreciate this. <laughs> We experienced as children something um, in Colorado Springs that we never experienced as kids in our hometown, and that is the pleasure, the joy of taking off your shoes and running barefoot through green, soft lawn grass. Hmm. You have lawns, in I'm putting them in little quotation marks <laughs> in Texas, but they're often... Um, uh, St. Augustine grass, which I believe isn't even a real grass, it's... I don't know what it is. It's something that looks like grass, but it's very uncomfortable to walk on. Is it? Is it what they have in Florida, that sharp, yes. spiky grass? Like, yes. I tried walking on Florida grass once, yes. and I was like, whoa, why is this cutting my feet? <laughs> like, what is <laughs> happening? You know, yes. So, we also had it uh, when I lived in Florida. We had that in our yard. And it, yes, it hurts your feet. It hurts your feet. So, as kids, we played in our yard all the time. You're just, you toughen up. You know, if you want to do cartwheels, as a kid in your backyard in Texas, you figure out how to do it on the St. Augustine grass. But when we went to Colorado, it was mm, like, to carpet. us, it was like angel singing. Have we arrived in <laughs> heaven? What is this lush green softness? <laughs> and if anyone, I know, if anyone saw this family cavorting <laughs> on the green grass, they would have thought, what is like, our, what are they, what is going on over there? But it, we just, we'd never experienced anything like it. So Colorado was wonderful, and it was such a such a gift as a kid to have these, as difficult as the trips often could be to have these special times um, in Colorado, but as wonderful as the journey up, journey north would have been, you always had to do that journey in reverse. Mm. You always had to come back down from the mountain, you know, so to speak, and return to your St. Augustine grass. So there would come a moment where we would we, you know, of course, as you're driving, the windows are all closed. Maybe the air conditioning is going, but there would come a moment where we would make a rest stop for gas oh. or um, a break, and you would open the door and realize, oh, we're back, we're, we're back, yeah. we're back. <laughs> so I can remember one one trip, um, and it would have been summer. It would have been July or August, so just the hottest, most humid time of year in in my hometown where my father told us, okay, before we go home, we needed to drop by some uh, someone's house to pick something up. Maybe it was a pet we had left. They were watching our dog or I can't remember. So we had to go to this house before going to ours. So we, um, because we we're making that extra stop, we stop at this person's home and my father has to go in, but he just rolls down the windows for us um, while we sit there. And so we're sitting there just it's like that kind of air after you've been in Colorado. It's like a brick. It's like trying to breathe a, 
a, a solid mass. Mm. It's so heavy and so thick. And I just remember sitting there thinking, why? <laughs> why? Like, <laughs> why, why do we, we live, live here? here? Like, why? Oh, this is so hard. It's so hard to be back after experiencing that other place. And, um, but then my father got back in the car, turned the car back on, rolled up the windows, got the air conditioning going. And then he said, <laughs> he said, wow, it's, you know, it's so hot. It's so humid. He said, why did my ancestors ever come to this place? <laughs> <laughs> My father, who's from Texas, generationally, you know, his his family goes back in that place for so long. And he said, why did my ancestors ever come to this place? <laughs> but, so he was joking a bit, but he was also seriously acknowledging how difficult it was yeah. to return to that climate when we had just been in Colorado. But I remember thinking, it just validated something in me, like, oh, this is really hard. Mm. I'm, I am... This is going to be really hard to readjust to a Texas summer, and it's not just um, it's not just me, or I'm not just being weak, or I'm not just you know not capable enough. Because even my father, yeah. who is a grown up, who right. has decided that we will live in Central Texas, is saying, "Why am I here?" You know, even he is questioning. Right. So, Lisa, I was thinking about that memory, and it occurred to me that amongst my immediate family, almost all of us have since left Texas. We don't live in Texas any longer. And on the surface, that's for a number of different reasons. Jobs calling us to different places or education or, or you know, spouses, etc. Uh, so, it's for different reasons. I don't know that there's anyone, possibly with the exception of myself in my family, <laughs> who would say, oh, I, I'm no longer living in Texas because it's too hot because mm-hmm. of the weather. I sometimes say that. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, so it's other reasons. But when I think about how difficult reentry was and how much, really, as a whole family, we struggled with it, I think there was something inside of us that, that wanted another way of living, that didn't want to be so hot all the time. You know, some people really thrive in that kind of temperature and humidity, and some people don't. So it's just, you know, the, I mean, we know that just from talking to, to our friends. But for whatever reason, I think my immediate family, we took these trips, maybe in part because we wanted to escape. And so when I think about reentry, I want to remember that sometimes if reentry is very hard or very painful or we're really struggling, there may be some message in that. Maybe there is something saying, actually, this thing you're going back to, don't go back to it. Or find, or find some new way to live in it. Or maybe think about making a big change. Um, I'm not just talking about moving, but, you know, all the kinds of reentry we, we do. Maybe sometimes we, we too easily say, well, this is just how it is. I just have to learn to live with this. And I still, as an adult, so often think how glad I am to live in a place where it isn't always so hot and so humid. It just It's a simple thing. It's a small thing. It's just the weather. Um, and yet I'm grateful to live in a place with winters and snow. I'm grateful um, sometimes still when I feel the crunch of snow under my feet here in Pennsylvania. I remember the crunch of snow under my feet in Colorado as a kid and how much I enjoyed it on during a, a winter vacation. So I guess I want I want to leave our listeners with just this, it's not even a lesson, but just this little this awareness as we re-enter all kinds of things in all kinds of ways, maybe in the coming months, that if you find yourself really not wanting to go back to something, 
to give yourself permission to acknowledge that and to explore it and to say, is there something I need to hear in this? Um, Because I know for myself, I'm really grateful that I didn't just say, well, yes, I don't like the weather here, but I'm just meant to suffer. Instead, I was more open, I think, to moving on and moving away and trying new places in the way that God had for me. So re-entry can be hard. And sometimes, like in your story, we just need to have just nothing but grace for ourselves and others to get through it. And sometimes maybe we need to say, this is telling me something and I need to listen. I need to pay attention. Um, and only, you know, only we with God's help can know. And and also it may be something that just unfolds over time. So um, I was a kid and feeling that, but I didn't move away from Texas, you know, for many, you know, another good decade after that. So sometimes as well, it does take time, but it can be something that we hope for or we pray for um, or we try to make plans for, um, even if it's going to unfold in time. So sometimes reentry is too hard for a reason. Hmm. These are such fun conversations because there's distance now. Like I'm able to laugh about those things, those mm-hmm. stories. But even as I tell them, I think to myself, wow, that was really terrible. <laughs> like, yeah, how did we get yeah. through that? Yeah. And I think for our listeners, I think years from now, we will all be looking back at these years and thinking, how did we get through that? So mm-hmm. here's to giving mm-hmm. yourselves and your people grace as you navigate permission to make changes if you need to. And really, I hope there's laughter still in the midst of all of this because it (laughs) makes everything a lot more bearable. It sure does. It sure does. At least when we tell the story years from now, right? There will be some (laughs) laughter. (laughs) If you enjoyed today's conversation, won't you take a moment right now, open up that podcast app and look for the subscribe button right next to our podcast profile image. And we think this podcast is best enjoyed with friends. So tell a friend, click share episode in your podcast app and send a friend our link. 